Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Uh, you probably uh, have already got a taste of, of the great leaders that make uh, the 180 a very special place. And so uh, I'm grateful for all of them, uh, not only our worship team, but our elders. And uh, I want to just add what our elders said of how grateful we are, of how many of you have modeled generosity and playing a part in what God's doing. And so if you're new, and this is kind of a new idea, church, maybe you're watching online, somebody shared the link with you. Uh, we're, just, we're just normal people trying to learn how to follow Jesus, learn about God, grow, trust God, and, and we do that in different ways. And so uh, as a leader here, I feel like really honored that this morning we're going to go just a little bit further in a series we've been in, uh, helping us deal with something that all of us try to ignore. Every one of us, no matter where we're at, we try to ignore dealing with those broken areas of our lives. And the word for this, some of you know this, is the word sin. It's those areas in our lives. I know, big spooky word, uh, you know. And, and, and we've invited you, I, I'm doing the same thing, to say, God, are there areas that I've hid and I've ignored that you just want to touch and heal and I need to get honest about that? And so just to kind of get you on the same page, we've been doing this for a few weeks now. And uh, if you've been with us, you know that we've covered the seven deadly sins and you know the ones that are left, if you're paying attention. If you fall asleep during church, well, you don't know. But uh, you, you know really much where we're at and today we're going to look at a, at a pretty spicy one. Uh, but I want to begin by showing you a picture and asking you if you think you know what this picture is. So take a look at this picture. If you're watching on a podcast, if you're listening on a podcast, you have to go watch to see the picture. But uh, I'll give you a second. Any of you? This picture, maybe you've seen it before. Maybe you're like, oh, I have one of those in my house. Uh, if you probably don't. Uh, you can guess what that is. It's not like a first invention of a ladder or a stepping stool. Uh, this is called the stool of repentance. A stool of repentance that was used uh, historically in the past by uh, some Christians in particular. Uh, when they wanted people to get serious about sin, they would set the stool up in church and they would have people stand up and come to the front and sit on the stool or sometimes kneel on the stool and share with everybody their sins. Amen? So we have some here this morning. We're going to bring them out. All the staff is like, what? What did Tom do? I, I think of this all the time about how, how many of us, just the thought of that makes us very, very nervous. And there was a time, actually, where I think people were trying to get so serious about being honest about their sin, and they went to almost one extreme of just being like, everybody needs to know your stuff all the time, and we need to tell everybody your problems. And, you know, in their defense, I think they did it more as an accountability thing, to be like, we're going to help each other, right? But I think that I've seen this movement in my life as a pastor where we wanted to get really serious about sin, right? And then we went to the step of saying, you know what, sin is just something private. So you know what, you should just mind your own business. Things are just between me and the who? And the Lord, 
Don't you love that? I hear that all the time. Until people call me and their lives are falling apart, and I'm like, hey, remember when it was just between you and the Lord? Go get them. Good luck. The Lord is going to fix that. It doesn't work all the time. It sounds great, but it doesn't really work that way, right? And so I think then the other thing that happens is, whoa, what's up, microphone? Uh, I think we go from these moments where we, sin is very public, then it's very private, and now today I think sin is something that's just not important and we don't talk about. And we're like, oh, whatever, like I'll get to it, or people get to it when their lives are really in bad shape. And so what we've tried to do in this series is to say, no, no, we want to really be the kind of church that takes the Bible seriously. We want to be the kind of church that takes the cross seriously, because you only really take the cross seriously when you believe that sin is serious. And the reason that God hates sin, you need to know this, is because he loves us. And sin destroys everything in us that God wants to see flourish, everything. And so in some ways, we all hate sin. We all want to get serious about these things that are trying to destroy us from the inside out. And I want to, this morning to help you understand this in light of a little bit. I'm just going to start this morning by telling you a little bit about Palm Sunday. Like, this is Palm Sunday, and, and this is such a, a special time, and, you know, if you're reading the passages in the Bible and you're following along in Scripture, you know that this is the time where Jesus goes to Jerusalem. You'll see a picture up here, and, and, and this is a moment where the devil in the story of the Bible has tried relentlessly to keep Jesus from this moment. Everything the devil had to do was to make sure that Jesus didn't get to this day. He just had to keep him from, like, turning his attention to Jerusalem. He had to keep him from being obedient like only he could be. And you know how the devil did this? By tempting Jesus. He does to Jesus what he does to us. He's like, you know, there's just a few things you might want. They're not bad things. And he tempts Jesus in different ways, and he realizes how hard it is to get Jesus to be disobedient. Jesus is the great example of what it means to trust God and the power of God to accomplish the things of God, okay? And so Jesus is committed. And during this season, what Jesus does is he, he, he goes into Jerusalem. Maybe some of you remember growing up. Like, I remember when I was young, we did Palm Sunday once, and we, the little kids got branches. Any of you ever do that? People get branches, and then we would hit the kid. We'd hit each other with them, right? And, and I'm sure we went home, and then my parents would hit me with them. And I'm like, no, the Lord hates me, whatever. We, we have all these ideas in our minds. But this is a moment where Jesus is mocking the way the ancient world thought about a certain sin. And that's the sin of power. You see, in the ancient world, when you were a king and when you conquered a people, you, you had a procession and you, you moved into a city and sometimes you carried the king or the ruler that you conquered on a wagon with a horse and people threw rocks at them or spit at them as a sign of saying, look how great we are. If you mess with us, we will kill you the way we killed these people. Right? This is the ancient way. And so Jesus says, let me show you a different way. Let me show you what it's like when humility and trust in God destroys the ways of the world. He does this by going into Jerusalem, and as he's traveling, he's trying to remind us that he has the power that we need to conquer sin in our lives. Because the devil will go to Jesus, and he'll tempt Jesus, and the Pharisees and other people will tempt Jesus, and in the end, the devil realizes we just can't get to this guy. So you know what? Let's try one of his friends. We'll see you on Good Friday. Let's try one of his friends to distract him. Maybe that'll work. And so I want to talk to you today about the 
the sin on the list of sins, which is a sin that is very confusing and can be problematic, and it's the sin of lust. And some of you are thinking, like, how does that work? So let me just say very, very quickly, if, if you have young people, uh, y- young kids in the, gr- in the crowd here, and if you're watching, I think this one, parents, might require just a little bit of a chat after church as we talk about this sin. So I want to give you a heads up uh, to just, I'm going to be very, very careful, but it's important that you know that. We have to deal with this sin. And the Bible talks about lust in very different ways. Like when you think of lust right away, you probably think of, you know, inappropriate images, right? Or, you know, I don't know, despacito. Uh, what, what else? What comes to mind? You know, like some sketchy movie. Uh, all the things in our culture that lust, 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 okay? So let me just take a step back before we touch that one, right? Is that the Bible actually introduces lust not only as something sexual, not only something where we're enticed to want to be inappropriate with a person, but the actual also talks about the theme of lust as a lusting for power. So lust actually is this, this desire to want control and to have something that you should not have and to distort God's love. So I want to just show you before we talk about lust in a more you know, intimate kind of relational way, how the Bible also talks about lust as when you want to be seen as someone who's powerful. And this is why Palm Sunday is so beautiful. Because Jesus says you never win by the power of the world. You never win by lusting in the ways of power that the world offers you control and how you're going to win. And in 1 John, it's one of the writings in the, near the end of the New Testament, this is what John writes about this idea of lust. He says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Whoa. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes, from, comes not from the Father, but from the world. This is one of the times that we're introduced to this idea of lust, not only as something sexual, not only as something that has to do with relationships, but the kind of lust that's in us that's a lustful way of the world, the lust of the flesh. And and I'm going to do just a little bit of teaching here, so you're going to follow with me, okay? So everyone, if you notice somebody next to you who's kind of like dozing off, you're going to do like a little nudge, okay? Like stay stay in the game. Just you're like like the Holy Spirit's going to use you, put it that way, okay? So uh, it's important that John tells Christians, us, that lusts are there all the time. And he uses this world by saying there are lusts in the world. There's ways of the world. And this took me so long to understand this, and so I want to tell you two words that you have to understand. That the Bible assumes we understand, but most people don't understand, okay? Is that the Bible talks about the world, and that's different than worldliness. You'll see it on the slide. I put it up for you. Very, very easy. So the idea of the world versus worldliness, These are very, very different ideas in the Bible, okay? For us in English, we have one word that means everything. We just read it. Don't love the things of the world, right? Now, if you're a Christian, you know know this, and if you're not, like, let me just tell you, this week is about God so loving the world. So it's kind of going to throw you off very quickly when you read John saying, hey, you should hate the world. You're like, I'm so confused. That's why I never read my Bible. None of this makes any sense. No, that's why you come to church because you're learning how to read your Bible. Okay? The Bible assumes you know that there's a big difference between the world that God loves, the people of the world, the healing he wants for the world, the restoration that only he can give to the world, and the lusts of the world. The lusts of the world are the word worldliness. The ways of the world. The habits of the world. The things that entice us, and at their core, they're sometimes good things that are disordered. They take advantage of our hearts. 
There are all these beautiful things, and lust actually falls in that category. It's this beautiful desire that's meant to, to kind of flow and flourish in a healthy relationship, and it's disordered, and it, it changes. So I need you to understand that lust is not just the idea that we often think of as kind of like a sexual thing right away. The idea that we often think of as kind of like a sexual thing right away. There's all kinds of lusts. Which ones are you most tempted by? Which ones have you justified in your own life? As I was preparing this week, I thought of one in my life. Being really, really young and wanting to be a pastor, like the lust of maybe, you know, having more, uh, you know, more influence or a bigger church or more people. Like there's a certain lust and I'm thinking, that feels good, right? It feels good. I'm like, nah, nah, I think it's coming from a bad place. No, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. No, it's coming from a bad place. Like I felt like venom, you know, like that moment. Anyway, some of you got it. So you have these moments where you're like, I'm just torn, but this doesn't feel right. My heart is in the wrong place. And I don't want these things for the ways of God. We live in a world that fuels these lusts in us. Mel shared just briefly the lust for control, to have our way, the power that comes, to be able to tell people what to do or not to do. All these things are there. Worldliness, things of the world that's different than the world, okay? And so I wanted to just begin by helping us go there and understand that a little bit. And I want to kind of now turn to like more, I'm going to focus in, like just a little bit more, not just the general lusts, but the lusts that have to do with the flesh, a certain lust of the flesh. The Bible has so many categories for talking about this. And, and you know, if I'm, if I'm kind of going through the sermon, you might have questions and you're like, I hope Dom talks about this, and I might not. So just so you know, this is a big theme, the theme of lust in the Bible. And the reason it's a big theme is because the ancient world from which the Bible comes from is much more complicated than we think about relationships. There's a lot more nuance about how relationships works and how power structures work in relationships, okay, that we take for granted. And so I want to just begin by showing you how Jesus himself introduces this idea of lust. This, this disordered way that the things that we love and that how we love and how we feel that we have the right to want to be with someone or to have someone begins to disorder something deep in our hearts. If you were here for the sermon on coveting, coveting and lust are usually close because you tend to want something that you shouldn't have and that's growing because of a lust in you, okay? And so I want to just begin by, it's always a good rule if you're reading your Bible to be like, did Jesus ever talk about this? Jesus deals with this. And let me just tell you how hard it would have been for Jesus to deal with this. Most people who are listening to Jesus talk about this are going to do what I think 99% of people do when they're listening to this type of sermon. They're going to say, Jesus, what do you know about lust? Like, do you have a girlfriend? Are you married? Do you have kids? What kind of relationships are you in that you would teach us about lust? You have anyone who does that? So you know how hard it would have been for Jesus to say, no, no, you should listen to me, trust me. I know lots about how this disorders people's hearts. And so he's going to teach about it in one of his famous sermons, and this is what he says. Some of you have heard this. You maybe know this. This is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or a man, okay, lustfully has already committed adultery with her or him in their heart. And then it gets really radical. It's awesome. 
Jesus doesn't mess around. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Wow. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If you weren't listening to Jesus before, you listen to him now. It's like, this just got serious. I think he said hell. Say that again. <laughs> Jesus is like, listen to me. This is so important. I know that you already have teachings about lusts in the Torah. He's saying, you've heard this before. You've heard about adultery and the power of sin to, to destroy your marriage, relationships, businesses, churches. You've heard this. You don't even have to convince anyone that lust is a sin. They're just like, we know, we know it's bad. But it seems so nice. But Jesus says, but if in your heart you leave this sin unattended and you think that nobody sees it because you haven't acted on it yet, that sin is still very much waiting for the time to make you lust and act on it. This is so mind-blowing. Because I know, and you know, that we're like, it's not a big deal. You know, my kids say this in our house all the time. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm like, were you thinking of doing that? Well, no. I didn't do anything wrong. Jesus is like, it's not about if you've done something wrong with this sin. It's the kind of sin that it's there and it lurks. And you know what? Because it's connected to something so beautiful, because it's connected to this human gift to be intimate and to care and to want to feel loved and to want to feel close and to want to feel special, the devil uses it and it becomes something completely distorted. Completely distorted here. Now, Jesus is talking about this primarily, first of all, in the context of a marriage, right? He's talking about committing adultery. Let me tell you, I have been a pastor a long time. And I've seen consistently that where there's lust that is unattended to, there's always lies. Nobody lusts without telling some lies. And I've seen people's lives destroyed. And I've met with them and prayed and cried and listened. And I've often said this, something I say to couples when they're getting married and I'm doing their pre-marriage counseling and I'm talking to them about paying attention to healthy boundaries and healthy habits. And, and the internet just throws that in the, out the window, right? Because it's like, well, I'm just on the internet. I don't know. It's a fake avatar I have. Okay, good luck. You know, it's complicated. That I'll often tell people, how long has this been going on? How long have you left this unattended? And guess what often happens? They will lie. Oh, it's just someone I met at work. Years ago, I sat with a couple in my office crying. They were just on a baseball team, softball team. Marriage, falls apart. Kids, just a mess. Why? Because there was something there that they noticed. Something was at the core of their hearts. There was an attraction, an unhealthy relationship. It gets closer. And what needs to happen at that moment is to say, wait a second, the devil always uses this. It's not a big deal. It's normal. Lust. Jesus says, let's begin here. Let's begin with us getting honest about how in our hearts, whether you're male or female, there's a certain thing that happens where you see something and you realize, wait, that, that's maybe inappropriate. 
I need to turn that off. I need to tell someone. I need to confess this. I need to get honest. Whatever that looks like. And it's very, very different in our lives. And then Jesus says something pretty radical. He says, you know what will help? If you just kind of, somebody makes you blind. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. Obviously, Jesus is being facetious. He's saying like, this is so bad that you should think about it as bad as you just plucking out your own eyes. Now, Jesus knows that if you've already seen something lustful and you cut, pluck, pluck out your eyes, what will happen? You'll still lust where? In your heart. So he's not saying, pluck out your eyes. He's saying, this is so massive that it's better for you to almost like be blinded than to leave this sin unattended. God loves to see us in healthy relationships. Just remember that. God made us to flourish in healthy, life-giving relationships. We are wired for that. It's like flowers are meant to grow and flourish in a garden that's beautiful and lust comes and it, it comes around and says, wait a second, you know, you, ha- you have needs and desires. Didn't God give you those? You're like, he did. Wait a second, maybe this is not that bad. It's always bad. Always bad. Because our relationships and the intimacy and closeness and love that we are meant to kind of experience with others in the Christian context, happens carefully in a covenant relationship, okay? And I'm going to just push a little bit further, okay? We start easy. Jesus gives us the easy step. Because all of you know this. You know, there's a real easy way to get around this. Just lust after someone that's not married. <laughs> Got you. Anyone think of this? I'm sure some of you, if Jesus was somebody, put their hand up. You're like, Jesus, are you saying if... A girl or a guy are single, then we can lust, right? I could just see Jesus looking at the person in a loving way and being like, do I have to slap you now? No, no, he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't wouldn't say that. It's like, you feel like maybe there's a way around this. And so into the New Testament, Christians will keep writing about how important it is to deal with this issue. So let me just take one more step now. I want to tell you how the Bible begins to help us to deal with lust. And I want to begin by telling you about just healthy relationships. And the Bible talks about healthy relationships in the first step in the context of a, of a union of a marriage. Now, this is important. Marriage is not the only healthy relationship that the Bible gives us. Just so you know, Jesus was never married. Singleness is a great gift that God gives to certain people. There's some people that I know that never want to be married. They love being single. There are people in the New Testament that feel a calling to be celibate their whole life. They have a deep calling to say, I never am going to be with somebody. So as I talk about marriage, I want you to pay attention in your mind that you don't think, or we're talking about marriage and everybody should get married. Are you married? Are you married? We're going to get you married. Come to our church. We'll get you married. I tell people all the time, some young people are like, I don't want to get married. Good. Be in the military. We need help. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I just remember, Jesus is the great model of someone who was single. And that's okay. Listen to me. That's okay. That's a great gift to be like, I can commit to different things because I'm not ready or have any desire, a desire to be married. Okay? So one of the things that we see into the New Testament, Paul is going to write to churches like ours that have to get more serious about paying attention to sin 
and lust and the way it destroys relationship. Now, we don't have time to go into this a lot because the Bible talks about it a lot, right? But there's certain sins in the church that are so mind-blowing that have to do this, that Paul writes about this. He writes about to a church where there's a, a young man that's having intimate relationships with his, his stepmother. Can you imagine this is in the first century? And Paul's like, I heard about this when I come there. He does one of those. When I, I heard that there's this stuff going on at the church, and he says, this is even worse than how pagans live. You see, like, the Bible's full of juicy stuff. But this is what Paul's going to say in the context of what keeps us from letting lust get a hold on us. He begins with this relationship. He says this, But since sexual impurity is occurring in your midst in this church, he says, each man should have sexual relationships with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. This is good advice, right? Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Do you know how beautiful this is? Paul's like, you guys know this. God created you to love each other and to have sexual relationships in a life-giving way with the one you've covenanted with. Lust destroys the gift of covenantal loyalty. If you, forget, if you stop listening to me right now, remember that. Lust destroys, lust spits at the gift of covenantal loyalty. This covenant of a per, two people saying, I love, nothing's gonna break this. We might have challenges, we might have problems, and, there, and Paul says, listen, listen, this, let's just start in a very simple way. A man and a woman, when you covenant together, you commit to give yourselves to the other person. So he gives us such a basic, basic principle. He says, one, you have this mutual kind of consent. Okay? Now, some of you maybe have heard this before, that relationships, many people who are not into church are like, oh, relationships, a lot of submission. Women are submitting to men, and women can't talk, and men control the, a lot of... Paul's like breaking every barrier to saying, no, no, there's mutual consent. There's a mutual submission that happens in your relationship. Now, there are parts of the Bible where Paul talks about submission in a very unique way, but he's saying here that when two people care about each other, they mutually agree to give each other to the other, and what does it say in the second part? If you're writing something, they agree to communicate when that's not working or when that might not work. And in the Bible times, sometimes, especially during Holy Week, fasting, people would say, we're going to fast from being intimate for this season. I just want to recommit my time to the Lord, and I want to do that in a very special way. And a couple would say, that's beautiful. I'm going to do that too. Let's do that together and remember that our bodies are a gift that first belongs to God before we give it to another person. See how beautiful this is? That Paul is giving this to Christians. He's like, this is how this is going to work. That one of the things the church needs to do more of, I'm convinced of this, the church needs to talk more about sex, not less. The church needs to talk more about the beauty and the gift of sexuality so our kids don't learn about this from the internet. They learn it from the church. They learn it from relationships that are not perfect. They're not relationships that don't have conflict. They're relationships that are like loyally covenanted relationships. People who say, I'm yours and you're mine. And we commit to, 
to doing life together and to experiencing that love in a very intimate way. And all of you know this. You don't need like, I'm like run the YouTube video. Like, you, don't, you don't need to be told this, that our bodies change depending on your age and your health and all kinds of things. So you know what? Communicate. It's like Paul's like, they got to write this, be a human, send. I read this. I'm like, really? You had to write this to them? They didn't get this? Paul's like, no, they didn't get it. It was insane over there. The church in Corinth, insane. Paul's like, I, I know. I know what's going on. I hear. I hear. And I'm aware that Paul says, just remind churches to be careful that lust will lurk when the natural human desires are not met the way they should be met. Lust creeps out and says, wait a second, you know, maybe it's okay to be with someone else. Lots of options. We're not the first ones to invent the options, by the way. Everybody in Corinth has options. And I put this specifically for you to see. I put the Greek word for what the word for options is in the New Testament. The Greek word for sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea, which we get our magical word for pornography. It's the one word that encapsulates all intimate sexual relationships outside of the covenant of loyalty. All of them. One word, put everything in the basket. And Paul says, I know that you all struggle with this. I, I know that stuff is occurring and I hear it and you see, you know. So first, let's begin simple. Let's begin by just committing to the healthy commitment of healthy relationships. Mutual submission, mutual giving of one another, communicating, just some basic steps. But remember, there's some people that if they're not in a covenant relationship of marriage, they too have desires. And you're like, what are they going to do? Paul's like, oh, this is a good one. He'll talk about this. He'll say some people are learning what it means to be in this union with the Lord and to, to surrender some of those desires to God as they wrestle through that. And you can imagine how different it would have been if you lived in the ancient world and you were married by like 15 to like today. Some people are getting married like if they're 30. You're like, hey, bro, like the gap is huge. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I want to be with somebody. I want to be in a relationship. So you see how you can't just be like, oh, there's a verse somewhere for this. No, no. There's a relationship, communication, friendship, listening, prayer. We owe it to people in our lives who we love to journey with them. You know, when I was single, I couldn't wait to get married. Now that I'm married, I can't wait to have kids, more kids. You got that? Han, I love you. All right. We have, <laughs> I won't be here for the next few weeks, by the way, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> we all have this rosy color. Oh, when I get married, it's going to be amazing. You're like, whoa, this is, this is hard. Whoa, this is hard. We owe it to each other to have these intimate friendships, relationships, loving friendship, men and women who care. And I used to say this all the time. To young adults, I, I used to pastor on a university campus. Let me tell you, this topic came up a lot. Uh, you know, I used to tell them, when you're with a young girl, you're on a date, if you're a, a woman, you're with a young man, and you're getting close, and you're trying to work out, is there the potential of a loyal covenant relationship here? If, is there that? Be very careful. 
be very careful. And until you understand that, see that person as your brother or sister in Christ. A person in the Lord and there's respect and understanding and communication. The church has made a mess of this. We need to talk more about this, not less. And then Paul knows that everybody in Corinth, whenever they want, can visit a very special place. And it's the temple of Aphrodite. It's a picture of it. Whenever you leave church, let's just do a pit stop at the temple of Aphrodite. We have no idea what it would have been like to live in a world where sex with someone that you didn't know, a temple prostitute, a temple virgin, was seen as a sign of being spiritual. People were like, listen, I love the Lord. My heart's with Jesus. But sometimes, when I'm driving by and you see a statue of Aphrodite, you're like, the Lord's not going to care. It's not a big deal. Why? There was a certain lust that's in your heart and a certain kind of availability. And you know, this is uh, one that was unearthed a few uh, years ago, I think it was. And there's this, the comment there, the inscription, I don't know if you can see it from the ground there. It says, this is a sacred area, in a sense. And, and scholars believe that there was this sacred way that people were invited into sexual relations without really any commitment to the people that they were around. You know why this happened in the Bible? Because people believed something that we never, never can forget. They thought that our bodies don't matter to God. Many people thought that all that matters to God is what's inside and that's your spiritual life. And that your body was just in the way. So if you did stuff with your body, God wouldn't really care. There was a whole movement of people that taught this in the Bible times. And that's why people who are in Corinth think it's okay to come to church on Sunday Monday, do a short shift, and in the afternoon, visit the temple of Aphrodite. Very simple. Imagine you're reading this in the Bible. I, I have to be honest. Like, it felt like some of our challenges felt simple compared to this. I was like, oh my goodness, what, what would we have done? So this is what Paul says. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead in his body and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. <laughs> People are like, wait a second, Paul. We never heard. This is some new stuff. This is new. It's shocking to me that it's still new for people today. That our bodies are this gift, a sacred gift, that in the intimacy of sexual relations, our bodies are meant to, to do what God made them to do, which it means to experience wholeness and love and acceptance and joy, all of those things. And can you imagine that people are already saying like, it's not a big deal. Lust comes and says, you know what? Is it really a big deal if you give yourself to someone else? It's just your body. Nobody has to know. It's not a big deal. And Paul's like, it's a huge deal when you remember two things. Not only is your body united to the person you made a covenant with, one, 
Very simple. Your body is also united to another community, which is the covenant body of Jesus himself, which is this body here. That's why it bothers us when we see someone who's hurting. That's why it bothers us when we see somebody who tells you, hey, my marriage is struggling and there's some issues. We feel that. We're not like, hey, good luck, kind of sucks to be you. Nobody says that. Why not? Because it's automatic to be like, wait a second, that's a big deal. We know that there's something sacred about our bodies. And Paul says, listen, I don't have to tell you this, but you know that you live in a world that it's taught you to believe that your bodies, you do whatever you want with it. Just, just follow whatever desires you have. Follow whatever lusts you have. It doesn't matter. Paul's like, you don't think it matters? You don't think it's a violation at the deepest level of you belonging to God? This is such an important topic. And I can't believe that Paul is already writing to a church about this in the first century. I wish we knew more, right? Of how difficult it is for us in our world of how hard it is for us to, to navigate relationships, healthy relationships, broken relationships. The power of the internet. Let me just say this, that pornography is always anti-Christ. Pornography at its core is this sickening, just mess of a thing to sing that you think you can experience some spiritual like intimacy, a blip on your brain has a, a, a 30 second feeling of, of like, oh, like a, a sense of, of fulfillment. That's a lie. That's a lie without any commitment to covenant loyalty, relationship, love, suffering, pain, all the things that make us human. And Paul says, if you understand that, you understand why the resurrection is so important. Because Jesus himself, who dies in a body, is about to be resurrected in his body. Because your body matters. Your body matters. My body matters. So in a very simple way, here's one thing we can do, and you know this. You know this because Lent teaches us that. To pay attention to the things that grip and control our bodies. We've told you every single Sunday. And as I was preparing, I kept thinking, there are people who will listen to every sermon in this series and do nothing! Just go home. Can you believe that? That we can just play this game and not feel that we spit on the cross of Jesus. Sin, it's just between me and the Lord. It's in my heart. It's not. Lust is about us. We are the body. And our bodies matter. And so this week, I'm going to ask you one last time. We're going to Jerusalem with Jesus. And I want to ask you to please... You don't have time to watch every sermon. You don't have time to kind of take notes and we're all busy. But even if you look at the list of these seven sins that are at the core of every sin and say, God, before Good Friday, this, this, I have to get honest. I am a liar. Lust controls me. I am envious. Pride has gripped my heart. I can't manage my anger. Do I need to go through the whole list? Just, just try that. And hear God say, 
I love you. I love you. Sin will not have control of you because I love you. As we close, I just want Marius to come and play and I give you a chance to to just think about this. I'm going to read the last slide. This is what Paul says. Flee from sexual immorality. You know what that word is now. Flee from all pornea, all things that fall in the category of intimacy, of sexual fulfillment outside of the covenant of loyalty. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Never gets old. Never get old. Jesus will ask you, hey, what did you do with the body I gave you? Where was it wounded? Did you pay attention? Where it was being violated by the sins of the world, did you pay attention? Where you thought it was okay to talk about spirituality and not care about your body, did you listen to the Spirit's prompting to say, hey, this is not right here? And for this, he says, don't be careful about it. Don't like just watch what you watch on Netflix. Be careful by turning on a computer at the inappropriate times. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Burn your computer. Burn your house. Burn everything. It's pretty extreme. Lust. comes for everyone. I'm going to have you stand. If you just close your eyes, I'm going to read this one last time. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? If you're standing next to someone that you're married to or engaged to, just hold their hand now. For you couples, we need you to love each other relentlessly. We need you to be intimate and to give yourself to each other. You are part of the way lust is destroyed because you will model what healthy intimacy looks like. communicate mutual submission to each other in a minute I'm going to pray 
for the marriages of our church and what that means. So we talk more about sexuality, not less. For those of you who feel like I feel the power of lust every day, we feel it this week. Just be very sensitive to maybe the Holy Spirit doing what Paul says. He's making us aware of like, this is the time where lust grips your heart. These are the regions when you're, you find yourself tired over, this is where lust will come. Flee from that every single time. And maybe confess with someone that you trust. Confess and say, I just need help to, to get more serious about this. In a minute, we're going to close and we give you a chance to go to our prayer space if you need to, if you want to talk. The last thing I want to say is for some of you, lust has already destroyed your home. You know that things have happened that are inappropriate. I might not know, but Jesus knows. And you think you can hide this, but you cannot. This is a chance to confess and to begin to experience God's healing with the whole mess that comes from it. This is what the Spirit would want us to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of marriage and intimacy. We thank you that one of the first commandments you leave us is to go and multiply. Go and be co-creators with you in this world. But we are aware of Satan's ways of distorting your goodness. Jesus, you taught us what it was like to be obedient when temptation came your way. I pray for the married couples who are here in this room, maybe those who are watching, to even now in their hands, to feel their bodies, to feel the gift of the skin of their hands and the joy of a special covenant that only they have. We pray for how hard marriage is and I pray for strength for them. I pray for those who are maybe feeling the pain of a broken marriage and a broken relationship. Jesus, may they not sense any shame, but may they sense hope and healing that can come as well. I pray for those who are single, who just feel the pressures of society to fit in, to look a certain way. May you just provide a grace for them, Father. Something that Jesus modeled. To know that there is a strength to say no to lust, even for those who are single. And God, may we remember that we are your body and that you died so that we would be whole and a visible symbol to the world of what it means that we love you with everything that we are. May we never believe the lie that our bodies don't matter. Go with us now and help us to be ready to come and worship on Good Friday and Easter Sunday and to be sensitive to how you're going to speak to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Hey, we love you all. God bless. See you Friday.